Welcome to First in Maine, your avenue to living well. I'm Debs here with my amazing co-host Lauren to meet you in the busyness of your everyday life, to pass along some of the insights and wisdom we've gained over the years. Don't try to figure out life alone. We want to connect you to some of the incredible, well-rounded people in our world. They're life coaches, counselors, pastors, physicians, just amazing people who can help you along the way. Each episode, we'll be sharing personal stories, practical help, and timeless principles to help you live at your best. So lean in and let's tackle life together. Hey guys, it's Lauren. Welcome back to First in Maine. Debs has taken some time off this week, so I'm hosting today's podcast. Before I get started, I want to ask you to rate yourself from 1 to 10 on how confident you are. 1 being I'm not at all confident, and then 10 being I am extremely confident. Now, you probably came up with a number pretty fast, and unless you are a superstar, I would bet that you didn't give yourself a 10. And here's the thing about confidence. It can sometimes vary. Depending on what things are happening in our lives, you can feel confident one minute and then like not confident at all the next. And I think that we tend to become more confident the more we do something. So confidence can change from one thing to another depending on how often you are doing something. You may have heard me talk about it before, but my husband is a golf pro. And we were talking the other day about well, golf, (laughs) because basically that is his most favorite subject. And I asked him what he thought was the most important part of a golf game. And so he told me that the most important part of a golf game is your confidence. He said that the more you practice, then the more you become confident. Because when you practice, you have a better understanding of what can happen with your swing when you're out there on the golf course. Because lots of things can happen and lots of things can get in your way. There are like sand traps and water and tall grass. There's trees that can keep you from getting your golf ball to the hole. I mean, lots of things. So in other words, these things, these traps, can possibly take your golf ball off the path that it should be on. And there are distractions. And so it takes confidence to like hit around them and avoid them and even get them out if your ball lands there. If you've ever played golf, and you landed your golf ball in a sand pit or in that tall grass in the rough or even like dunked it in the water, then you know how hard it is to get your ball out of there. So he went on to say that there are a lot of details when playing golf and that it can be overwhelming. Now, I do know this to be true because I have played golf with my husband several times before. And so, for example, right before you swing, You might have your feet pointed in the right direction, but the grip on your golf club could be completely wrong and mess up your whole swing. Or you could have your feet pointed in the right direction and your golf grip right, but then forget to follow through and still hit the ball wonky. When you practice and you work on your golf stand and you work on your swing, you can make a habit of doing these things right. And practice gives you the opportunity to correct those mistakes and try again and try again and try again until you get it right. And what happens is that slowly these things become less and less of an issue and then you gain confidence. It takes confidence to play golf well. 
But guess what? It also takes confidence to live well. So what happens if we don't have it? I remember a time early on in my career that I just did not have confidence. You know, when you are in hair school, you do most of your work on mannequins. And then you graduate, and now like you have to work on real people. (laughs) It is a total game changer. And you don't have your teachers to check your work, and it just like becomes real. Like you're on your own now. In hair school, in my hair school anyways, like we didn't learn how to talk to our clients and how to consult well. And I didn't know how to ask certain questions that would help me achieve the result that a client wanted. And it just felt very paralyzing. Because if you mess up on someone's hair, they're going to tell all their friends and family how bad their experience was. Not only that, but they're going to tell them what salon they went to, and they're going to tell them that it was you that did their hair. So it doesn't look very good for your business building, right? So I found myself a lot of the time comparing myself to other hairstylists. I was a new hairstylist, and I was trying to like find my way. And I would watch what they were doing, and I would um, listen to how they talked, and I would like take on some of their salon vocabulary. I would try to be trendy and wear some of the things that I would never pick out for myself. There was this one girl that I worked with and she had, um, it was like a salon tool belt. And you like wear this tool belt on your hip and it holds all of your shears. And she had like, I don't know, like eight different shears in there and a comb. And it was so cute and trendy. And I was like, I want one of those. So I went out and bought me one. I mean, I was new, so I had like two pairs of shears. It did. It was stupid for me to have one. <laughs> but I bought one anyways because I wanted to fit the part. I wanted to feel like a hairstylist. And I didn't feel like a hairstylist because when I compared myself to some of these other girls and guys, especially when you go to a hair show, I just felt kind of like boring and plain and that I wasn't trendy enough, and I didn't have cool hair, and my makeup wasn't like amazing all the time. And this comparison that I had, this comparing of who I was to what other stylists were doing and watching other stylists made me feel really bad. And I really do think that this is something a lot of us find ourselves doing. We compare. We measure ourselves based on what other people are doing and how well they're doing it. And then we get caught up in this trap, the comparison trap. And it stops us from growing because what it does is it distracts us and it takes us off course completely. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others and sometimes we compare ourselves to society without even thinking twice about it. Now, I'm not saying that it's right, but what I'm saying is that sometimes we do it as a natural tendency. Maybe we have done it so many times or we've done it for so long that it has just like become natural to us to do it. And the truth is we compare all kinds of things. One of my mentors from the Maxwell Certified Leadership Team recently listed some ways that we compare ourselves. So I jotted them down and I actually went ahead and pulled out my notes because I really want to share them with you today. She said that we compare things like our looks, like our weights and our clothes and our style and even our age, that we compare our lifestyles like our careers, finances, the cars that we drive, the neighborhoods that we live in, even like the vacations that we take. We compare our relationships like our marriages, 
friendships, and families. Some people compare their parenting styles and even their children to other children. And when we compare, we automatically make judgments, right? We make judgments about ourselves and we make judgments about others. And a lot of the time when we do this, it can make us feel one of two ways. It can make us feel insecure or it can make us feel better than. Comparison can make us feel either less than or it can make us feel greater than. It can make us feel insecure or it can make us kind of arrogant. And neither one of those things are what God wants for us. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, now go and compare yourself to others. No. What he said was go and make disciples. Big difference. So this comparison is a trap. It is a trap that is set up by the enemy to make us fall off course. It is sneaky and sometimes even subtle, but it's usually always around us. So we need to be confident. We need to be confident in who we are, what we are doing, and the decisions we make so that we don't fall into that comparison trap or worse, make a wrong decision or a bad choice because we just don't know, because we feel unsure or we're just not feeling confident. I actually looked up the word confident in the dictionary and it means self-assured. It means that if we're confident, then we are positive. We are absolute about something. But the real question is, What do we base this on? You know, some people might base it on their own strength, their own experiences, while other people might base it on what they see other people doing, kind of like what I did when I first became a hairstylist. But if we're supposed to be confident, then what standards are we using? Confidence has to come from somewhere and something because when I looked up that definition in the dictionary, it said that confidence is a feeling or a belief that one can rely on someone or something. So what or who are you relying on? Very quickly, I want to share the story with you about a time that I had to make a decision that I just did not feel confident about. It was the end of 2020, and because I commute a lot to work, Peyton wanted to get me a new car. My car was going on like 10 years old and getting high mileage, and his thought process was to go ahead and get me a car because in a few years, he was going to need to get a new car. And it would be better to just stagger them so that basically we wouldn't have two car payments at the same time. Honestly, it was a smart idea and very responsible thinking on his part. But in that moment, I told Peyton that like I just wasn't sure about this. I mean, I didn't want to get a new car because my car was paid off and I didn't want a car payment. In fact, I told him that I really thought my car could drive well beyond 200,000 miles and that I thought it was a tank and that it would like literally last forever. So I asked him if maybe we could just like buy new tires for it and then hold off a little bit longer. Well, we went back and forth on this for like several months. And so at the end of 2020, Peyton was getting really serious about this, and so he started looking at cars online, and then he started setting up appointments at dealerships. And so I entertained it, but deep down, I just really didn't feel like it was a smart move. Remember, like this is at the end of 2020. That year was like so crazy. It was unpredictable at the time. Our world was still battling the COVID pandemic, and it just didn't seem like a right time to go buy a new car. 
I didn't feel good about it. I didn't have peace about it. And so what I did was I basically started to pray about it. And I remember praying a very specific prayer. And in my prayer, I asked God very specifically that 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 if this was a bad idea to make it completely evident to Peyton, because like Peyton wasn't listening to me. <laughs> but then I also asked God that if this was the right thing to do, and if this was a good idea for us, then to please make it evident to me and line certain things up. So the certain things that I wanted to happen, those certain things I wanted to line up, were that I wanted at least $3,500 for my car as a trade-in, and then I wanted my payments to be under $300 a month. Just those two things, that's all. So we go to the dealership, and I give my key to the guy that is about to appraise my car. And as Peyton and I are sitting with the salesman waiting, the salesman tells us that he thinks my car is in great condition. In fact, it was the last model made in Japan, and that model was by far the best. Now, he goes on to say that my car is, and I quote, a tank and can easily go well over 200,000 miles. Furthermore, he suggested that we just put new tires on my car and keep it. Now, this is the salesman. The salesman is saying this to us, guys. So the manager comes back with my key, and he pulls the sales manager aside. And they're whispering, and then the salesman comes back to us and tells us that they can only offer us like $1,000 for my car. I look over at Peyton. He totally feels defeated. You know, secretly, I'm like high-fiving God in my head because he just answered my prayer. I'm like, yes, God, hallelujah. So Peyton stands up, shakes the man's hand. We thank him. We walk out the door. We were outside the dealership about to get in the car and leave and the salesman runs back after us and he says, wait, 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 wait. Let me see what else I can do for y'all. Maybe we can still make something work. Well, it was the last day of the year, so they really want to get these cars off the lot. Let me tell you, if you want to buy a car, wait until the very last day of the year. So anyways, the manager comes back and asks us how much we want for my car. Peyton just blurts out $4,000. And the manager looks at him we can tell he's processing this and he says, okay, we'll give you four grand for it. My jaw dropped. I mean, they had just offered us like $1,000 for it like 15 minutes earlier. And now he's like, okay, $4,000, no problem. <laughs> so Peyton, he gets excited and we're talking about buying a car now. Peyton negotiates and they end up dropping the price on a brand new car by $8,000. Not only do you need to go on the last day of the year to buy a new car, but you probably want to bring my husband with you. <laughs> so right off the bat, between my trade-in and the discount they gave us, we had like $12,000 off a brand new car. Plus, Peyton and I had some money saved up for an additional down payment. So when we did all the numbers, my payments on this brand new car were well under $300. Y'all, he did it again. God answered my prayer again. So naturally, we end up buying the car. But believe it or not, I still felt unsure about it. I still didn't have complete confidence that we were making the right choice because, I mean, God really answered both of my prayers. He made it evident to Peyton that we didn't need to buy a car, but then he turned around and lined everything up to make it evident for me and letting me know that it was a good idea for us to get a car. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> Basically, 
God answered both of my prayers and I felt like it was safe for us to make either one of those decisions. So we decided to buy the car because really the deal was just too good to pass up. Well, we're in the finance office. I'm about to write the check for our down deposit. And even though I feel like I had God's blessing, I just still felt a little unsure. He gave me a yes, but he also gave Peyton a yes. And it just really kind of like confused me and messed me up in my head. So we're filling out paperwork and I'm praying for God to just please give me a sign. Well, God has a special way of speaking to me sometimes. And sometimes he uses a certain number to do it. He has used this number so many times before that when I see it, I just know that the Holy Spirit is doing something. So as I'm writing the check down for this deposit, I notice that the number on the check The little number on the right-hand corner was my number. It was the number that God always uses when he speaks to me. Y'all, when I saw that number, I handed it over with a huge smile on my face, and I felt confident. I had my answer. I was at peace. I love telling that story because God gave me something that day that meant more than the car itself. He gave me the confidence that I needed to be at peace with that decision. He let me know that he had my back, that I could trust them, that when I surrender to him, he handles what I need him to handle. When you feel sure, when you feel 100% sure without a doubt that you are on the right track, that you are doing the right thing, that you are making the right choice, it just feels good. It feels good to have confidence. So what does the Bible say about it? We know what the dictionary said, so let's go to scripture. Well, the Bible says that in King James, Proverbs 3.26, for the Lord shall be thy confidence. In Jeremiah 17.7, the Bible says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, the truth is gives them confidence that they will have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the worlds began. Y'all, confidence comes from the truth. The truth is found in the Bible, and the Bible is God's word. So our confidence is also rooted in God. Okay, think of it like this. God fearfully and wonderfully made us, right? Psalms 139 tells us that we are the work of his hands. He made us exactly who we are. And he who makes everything good made each and every one of us. Deb's told him once that if God says that it's good, then it is good. (laughs) God made you exactly the way he wanted. You were made in confidence. It is in your DNA. You already have it. You had it before you were even born. So what happens to it over time? Why do we find ourselves in situations or seasons of life where we just do not feel confident? Well, I think it goes back to what Peyton explained to me about playing golf. It takes practice to play well. And if you aren't careful, sand traps, tall grass, trees, ponds, they will distract you and they will put your ball off course. Now, doesn't that sound like life? 
If we aren't living well, if we aren't careful, the enemy will take us off course. The enemy will steal and destroy our confidence and we will lose our way. We will find ourselves comparing, maybe even judging, becoming a little bit arrogant. But that is not what God wants for us. In fact, he tells us in Psalms 146.3, don't put your confidence in people. There is no help for you there. So how do we live in confidence? Well, we steer where we stare, just like Deb said in the last episode. We stare into the Bible. We stare into heaven. We look to God. God is our confidence. We trust him. We know that he is all-knowing and that he will steer us in the right direction when we look to him. When we stare at him, he gives us confidence to take that next step. He gives us confidence to make that really hard decision. He gives us confidence to stand up for what we believe in. It's important for us to have confidence because when we are confident, we can make better choices. And we can build our confidence every day by doing something that not only makes us a better person, but also by doing something that brings us closer to God. Because the closer you are to God, then the more confident you will feel because he made you and he made you in confidence. Things like prayer, scripture reading, worship, being a servant, showing love and compassion and helping others. These are all great examples of how we can practice living well and building up our confidence. You know, I think that God's identity is great. In fact, it's perfect. And so when we do things that take on his identity, it will lead us to greatness. And that greatness leads to confidence. And when you have confidence, it gives you joy and it gives you peace. And that is living well. That is what it's like living in confidence. As always, thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to meet you here again at First in Maine, your avenue to living well.